The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. And welcome, everybody, to The Exchange. I am Brian Sullivan. Let's be honest. We are going to try, try to figure out what is happening on Wall Street today because it has been a bonkers trading session. The good news, the Dow is now about 600 points. It had been down about the same at the lows of the day on nearly 1,200-point swing. Not to be outdone, the Nasdaq rising more than 4% from its low of the day, one of the biggest bounces we have seen in a long time. All this as inflation punches Americans in the gut once again, a stunning 8.2% year-over-year jump in prices. So what does the Fed do? Well, probably raise rates for a long time, says one of your guests today. And if that is not enough, you've got earnings season kicking off. We're going to get you ready with a big bank edition of earnings exchange. And if that was not enough for you, an auction of 30-year bonds also happening right now. A little prompter says walk animation. So walking to the animation. There it is. Speaking of bonds, earlier today, the yield on the 30-year crossing 4% for the first time in almost nine years. The 10-year and two-year, now they both backed off. The yield now under 4%, but it did break that mark earlier. 10 and 2, earlier today, again, they backed off the highs. But we saw highs that we have not seen in 14 and 15 years, respectively. We got Rick Santelli live at the CME, as always, crunching the numbers on a 30-year auction that just happened. He'll bring us the results as soon as he gets them. It is important because right now in these markets, folks, bonds and rates are what's moving stocks. Now, these moves all because inflation remains red hot. Housing and health care just keep going up in price for most of you. Services also popping. This is causing investors to keep the Fed squarely in focus. So let us focus on all of it. On the macro front, we've got Michael Schumacher, not the race car driver, Wells Fargo's head of macro strategy on the markets. Bob Pisani's at the New York Stock Exchange for how this is all playing out. And with a Main Street look, particularly from retail, the CEO, Federal Realty Investment Trust, Don Wood, is with us as well. But let us begin with Bob at the NYSE. And I think I feel like, Bob, we've lived like four market days in six hours. Like four months of market yeah. <laughs> days uh, in six hours. So uh, I, this is a remarkable rally. I'm going to try to answer the question, why are we rallying? Uh, let's take a look at the S&P 500. And Brian's right. Uh, I tend to look at the S&P a little bit more. But we've had a 140-point swing. We were at the lows for the year, 34.91 at the open. That's 140-point swings. And just right near the open here, uh, the low print right, right after the, uh, the open. Sectors, it's fairly broad rally, about 1.5% to 2%. Uh, energy's leading, but banks are doing well. Materials, tech's well, although Kathy Wood's ARC fund's still down a bit. Consumer staples, uh, defensive groups lagging a little bit. I think the key to understanding why we are rallying is to look at the options market. Here you want to look at the VIX. Immediately when the news came out, the CPI, people messaged me and said, Bob, why is the VIX down on this news? Shouldn't the VIX go up if there's more panic and more concern? And yet you see it's drifting lower. And I think this is the key to understanding why we might be rallying. The question is, what is the VIX measuring itself? So put up the screen about why the rally here. The VIX is pricing in 
intraday moves for the next 30 days. That's literally what the, it is measuring. On a daily basis of 33 VIX, which is where we have been, implies, implies the market and options buyers and sellers are, are anticipating a 2% price move every day. That's what a 33 VIX tells us. Now, we have had three big events, or we're expecting three big events that traders are watching in the next 30 days. That's what the VIX is looking for, 30 days out. The CPI, which we got today, the Fed meeting, that's November 2nd, and the elections. Okay, we got the CPI, so one of these are already out of the way. We're going to have the Fed meeting November 2nd. Everybody's now betting on 75 basis points to a certain extent. We're pretty sure that's going to happen for sure. The elections are a little bit of a wild card. So my point here is some of the big events, of the three big events, a lot of them are already sort of anticipated and where it's going to be going now that we've got this particular number out of the way. Look here at the front month, the volatility index here, this, where it's, it's looking. 33 we had initially right now, but look at the futures index here for November. It's lower at 30.7, 30.18 for December. So, Brian, what's going on here is already there's high anticipation of a lot of volatility in the near term, but traders are already anticipating a little bit slower, uh, lower VIX further out. The point being here, the VIX curve is inverted at this point, and I think this goes a little bit of a way towards explaining it, where individuals simply decided to basically cover their positions now that they already have some important yeah. data points. Brian? All right. I want to get something else very quickly with you, Bob, because I'm sure when you go out, you're a highly recognizable global celebrity. When you go out, people are always saying, hey, Bob, love you on TV. But when's the market bottom? Now, it's impossible for anyone to know maybe when that bottom is. But there are some signs, some traditional things that happen if you want to call it a capitulation or a flush, whatever. You've pointed them out many times. So I'm going to quote Bob back to Bob. Here are some of the traditional signs of a washout. And I'm going to ask you. If we met four or five of these at any point today, heavy volume, bad market breath, 10 to 1 down or so, panic, the VIX moving big, big gap moves in stocks. In other words, not small ones, but like going from, you know, 80 to 72 in a trade and retail fear as measured by polls like American Association of Individual Investors. Have we met any of these today, you think? We've met all of them. And here is the problem. All of these technical and sentiment indicators are flashing oversold. Here is the problem. We are in such a strange situation with COVID, with the Fed moving, with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. These are such extraordinary situations that oversold doesn't necessarily mean a lot. Think about this, Brian. How many oversold rallies have we had this year? My heavens, we had one in March. We had one in May. We had one in June. I think we've had two in September, and we're getting another one now. Doesn't this, all of those times we were in oversold conditions, I came on the air and said, we're oversold, and all those times we moved down to new lows immediately after that. That should tell you something, that the word oversold is true, but in these kinds of situations, you can stay oversold for a very, very long time, and this is how you get these traps. You get trapped into people thinking, oh, I, there, this has worked in the past. I must therefore do it now. Yeah. These circumstances are rather extraordinary, Brian. Today has been certainly extraordinary. Bob, you're extraordinary. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. As we mentioned, 30-year bonds up for auction. Let's find if it was extraordinary. Rick Santelli's at the CME. How would you grade it, Professor? You know, I graded it a C plus, a Charlie plus, with a big Roger Maris asterisk, Brian, and I'll tell you why. All the metrics for this auction, let's start at the beginning. 18 billion 30-year bonds, the yield 3.93. The problem that the when issued market was trading around 3.915. And just like the last two auctions, 
Lower yield means higher price. Higher yield means lower price. So this was lower price than it could have been. But all the other metrics, Brian, whether it's bid to cover, indirects, directs, dealers taking only 12.2%, all the metrics were really good. And any of the old timers out there, you remember a good Walter Payton run, a bit messy but aggressive? That's what this auction was like. Here's what I think we learned. As you look at the charts, we didn't see a big response like we did on threes and tens because they were messy auctions. C plus, it's kind of sideways. It seems to me that investors were more aggressive than the grade depicts even though it was messy with regard to pricing. And I think that speaks volumes, especially considering what happened in equities today. Listen, you might not believe that CPI uh, is cool by any regards, because it wasn't, especially year-over-year -year core. But in the end, the real issue is how much is priced into the markets already. And that, I think, the market's big opinion is being expressed in the equity sector today. Brian, back to you. Rick, thank you very much. Well, that hotter-than-expected inflation data increasing recession fears. The consumer price index rising four-tenths of a percent in September. You strip out food and energy. The so-called core index rose six-tenths and up 6.6% from a year ago. That, my friends, the biggest increase in 40 years. Now, forget the Fed pivot, maybe. Your next guest says the Fed will keep hiking rates and will do so for a long time. Joining us now is Michael Schumacher, head of macro strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Michael, welcome back. Why do you say that? Why do you have that point of view on the Fed? Pretty simple, Brian. Highest inflation in 40 years. What does the Fed focus on? Core inflation. It looks at these numbers just like we do and says those are not even close to good, nowhere near acceptable. Inflation's the ultimate boogeyman for a central banker. You've got to put it back in the box. More tightening for a long time. Say a long time. You mean like to Janu the January meeting of next year? I see on the graphic it says September of 2023. Is that a typo? I wouldn't call it a typo necessarily. Right now what the market's been pricing is for the tightening cycle to end somewhere between March and June of next year. And we think the Fed's going to be at it for a bit longer, so probably raises rates well into the middle of next year. And more importantly, goes on a long extended pause. The market, I think, has a sort of fantasy the Fed's going to shift pretty quickly from tightening to easing. We just don't buy it. So we think the Chair Powell and friends will raise the funds rate maybe through the middle of next year, possibly a bit longer and say, hey, what, let's wait, let's see how this inflation thing dies down a little bit and give it some time. So it's not going to be a quick fix, not a U-turn, nowhere near a pivot. Because it takes, as we heard on halftime from Professor Jeremy Siegel, it takes a long time for these Fed moves to work their way through the economy. They're not a speedboat, they're a super tanker. <laughs> That's right, long time for those legs. I'd say six months, absolute minimum, probably more likely 12 months. So you've got to give that the system time to absorb the impact. And frankly, the Fed's first rate hike was back in March, so January would be less than a year. That's just not enough time for it all to play out. Well, I guess the most basic question, I mean, I try to pretend I'm smart and ask these fancy questions. I'm just gonna ask you this, what do we do? What do your clients do? I, yeah, clients are taking cover. So very few clients I've talked to have added risk. You might say, and I certainly appreciate Bob the Celebrity's comments that Sentiment's bad, therefore you want to pile into risk perhaps, but that's not really the way we see it. We look at these times as being just about unprecedented, certainly in the span of our careers and also the policymakers. So when you've got crazy high inflation, all sorts of very strange global factors, the smarter move is to take cover. So keep it short if you're buying bonds. A lot of people have been doing that recently. Don't venture too far out the yield curve. 
stay light on credit, and think very carefully before hopping into stocks. So is cash king? Cash is almost king, but now you can actually get yields on shorter treasuries that look somewhat attractive. So no one's going to get rich buying a two-year treasury, but the yield did top 450 today for the first yeah. time in a long time. Not going to lose a lot of money, so seems like a pretty good safe harbor to us, or even shorter. You still get pretty good yields. And you get state tax benefits, right? If you buy treasuries directly, we talked about it the other day, you buy a two-year directly from the federal government, not an ETF, the interest, the coupon payment, I understand, is actually tax-free on a state level. So you, you do get a little more juice than just the 4%. That's a fair point. Yeah, certainly comparing that to a corporate, you've got to make that adjustment. So you're right on there. I mean, I, I, Michael, it's great to have you on. I, I can't, um, it's hard to believe that we're here talking to, you know, guys like you and they're like, get cash. This guy taking a picture of you, by the way. Get cash <laughs> or buy two-year bonds and that's the best place to be. These are remarkable times. Michael Schumacher, thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. All right, so in the meantime, look at the markets. The Dow's up 665. We're shrugging off the hot CPI date, at least for today. We had a bigger than 12 100-point swing for the Dow today. But is this the all-clear for you? Probably not, says your next guest. He sees more volatility ahead. He's going to fade this rally. He is David Wagner, equity analyst and portfolio manager at Aptus Capital Advisors. Why fade it? Yeah, you know, Brian, I don't think that the market can make new highs until you have some type of moderation inflation. And more importantly, a large earnings expectation decrease. So far for next year, earnings have only come down by, say, 5%. And historically, when you look at the median downturn in recession, earnings come down, say, 20%. So I think that the markets will be very stubborn on allowing a new market regime until earnings fall. Thus, I would fade any material rally into year end. But, you know, Brian, it continues to amaze me that people continue to keep calling for some type of Fed pivot. I guess I have to understand it a little bit, you know, because the Fed is always assumed to be the backstop thing. 2018, think COVID. But, you know, let's look forward. You know, inflation is still going to continue to be high. We know that, you know, investors know that growth is going to be slowing. And they should probably know that QT is one of the biggest major monetary policy shifts of their lifetime. So you asked this question last time, what can you do here? Is cash king? So, you know, how do you capitalize in this type of environment? And what I would say is that the Wu-Tang Clan investment methodology, obviously made famous by Ben Graham, well, it's wrong. Cash does not and cash will not rule everything around me. You know, given that, you know, inflation remains stubbornly high, especially what we saw this morning. So where can you potentially find safety if it's not cash? Well, I think investors need to own volatility as an asset class. So regarding an asset allocation, I think investors need to look at colored income strategy as one of the best ways to attack, you know, this muted type of environment moving forward. I think the best way to find it is if you have the ability to write calls on individual securities. Obviously, you get higher implied volatility levels there relative to the market or some type of benchmark. And that raises your ceiling by using individual uh, uh, calls, mm. raises your ceiling up higher because, you know, you can then participate more in market rallies, which you definitely saw back in June. But, you know, at its core, uh, I think we're going to continue to see some type of chop in this market. Well, you might have coined a new phrase, the Wu-Tang market. I'll, I'll bring it back to you because the market has brought the ruckus. I mean, this is certainly a ruckus in these markets here. Uh, when do you see this volatility ending? Because if you're not yeah. a believer in the – everyone's like, oh, we've got to wait till the Fed pivots for the volatility. If you see the Fed pivot not coming or not for a long time, are we going to be like this for the next few months or quarters? 
Yeah, I, I think we're definitely in a muted return environment moving forward. I think the market is very simplistic in nature. I think on a daily basis, kind of like today, at least at the beginning of the day, the market was focusing on CPIs. Go back to the beginning part of this quarter. The market's focused on, on PMIs. It's focused on the jolt number. But I would say all of this rally until you really see a lot of degradation in the earnings profile for fiscal year 2023 of the S&P 500 to really start coming down. I think it's going to be more of a process of like washing paint dry instead of having the rug pulled out from underneath it. Yeah. As we saw this morning, inflation, well, it's continuing to prop up revenues and margins right now. But I'm going to ask you the same genius question I asked Michael Schumacher. What do I do? What do we do? Got to do something or put the money in the bank and hide under the mattress. <laughs> well, you know, I mentioned, you know, card income strategies. I think the other place to go is I'm a small cap guy at heart. So I actually don't like small caps right now. I love small caps right now. And by saying that, I think it's probably a little bit contrarian, especially heading into a possible recession. But I do think that small caps, well, they've already really started to price in some type of recession. I mentioned Large cap earnings expectations for next year have come down 5%. You've already seen small caps expectations come down 15%. So if you actually take current S&P 500 earnings uh, for next year and uh, decrease them by 25%, you get the median valuation of the S&P 500 over the last 10 years. If you add 30% to current EPS expectations of the small cap index next year, that gets you to the median valuation. So I like small caps, whether it's an absolute trade or a pair trade with large caps. All right, something to do. Small caps, you like them long term. Listen, they're, they're, they tend to be 100% exposed only to the North American economy. They get away from all the stuff that's going in Europe, which we don't know where they're going. David Wagner, I know we're going to say goodbye and we'll see you later. All right, thank you. See you soon, Brian. All right, we got a news alert right now on Netflix. Steve Kovac has the details on that. Steve, what's going on? Hey there, Brian. Yeah, Netflix shares are up about 3% right now after it revealed its plan for that ad-supported tier as it tries to show subscriber growth again. So let me break this down. This new ad tier from Netflix, it's called the Basic Plan with Ads. It's going to be $6.99 a month in the U.S., launches at noon Eastern on November 3rd in the U.S. and 11 other countries, including Canada, Mexico, the U.K., Germany, and Japan. Netflix says commercials on this new tier will run between 15 and 30 seconds and subscribers will see four to five minutes of commercials per hour. Ads will also appear before you start a show and during a show, but you will not be able to download content to your mobile device and videos are going to appear at a lower quality than full HD. You'll need to subscribe to the standard or premium plans to get HD or 4K video, but there is a slight increase in the video quality from the previous basic plan. Advertisers will also be able to broadly target subscribers by genre. That means comedy, drama, horror, and so on. They can also block their ads from running against shows with graphic content or foul language. You get the idea there. Netflix says it has nearly sold out of uh, inventory for this launch in a couple of weeks, but it declined to say how much they're charging or how they're sharing ratings with these advertisers. Now, as previously announced, Microsoft is providing much of the ad tech behind the new tier. Sure, it's not moving too much there on Microsoft. This is the new trend among streaming subscri- uh, streamers, though. Get subscribers by offering a free or cheap version of their services supplemented by ads. We've seen Hulu, NBC's own Peacock, HBO Max, all supported ad-supported plans, and Disney Plus, theirs is launching in December. Now, this is one of Netflix's new answers for getting growth back, Brian, and we'll get more info on subscriber growth or lack of, the, of that uh, next Tuesday when they report earnings, Brian. All right, Steve, appreciate that. Netflix. 
All right, we got a lot more to do here, folks, on this busy day on deck. Could higher inflation and higher rates actually be a boon for the retail REITs? We're going to ask the CEO of one company with properties from coast to coast about how he is dealing with rising costs and get his outlook on the consumer and retail. Plus, a handful of banks set to report before the bell tomorrow, unofficially kicking off the earnings season. We have got your key metrics to watch and the trades ahead. The Exchange rolling on Dow up with 600. Stick around. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. As you know, shoppers are returning to stores. I mean, they already have, and restaurants post-pandemic. And that is good news for some retail REITs, but rising rates, inflation, and energy have been putting pressure on the group this year. And if there was any doubt the Fed will not continue to, with aggressive rate hikes, today's hotter-than-expected CPI numbers crushed it. How do you run the cross-currents or navigate them if you run a retail REIT and retail in this environment? Don Wood, CEO of Federal Realty Investment Trust, with us. I know that uh, my friend Jim Cramer has been interviewing you for years, and he has called you maybe the best sort of retail REIT CEO in America. Brian is a very nice man. Very nice man. Well, and, but I think based, I live near one of your properties. It, unlike many other strip malls that I see in New Jersey, is 100% full. How are you 100% full when in Manhattan, walk down 46th Street and one out of every three buildings is empty? Those are two very different uh, Or different New Jersey. How about right? this? Go to a random strip mall in New Jersey. A lot of retail vacancies. Well, you know, when you start talking about random this and random that, you, you're effectively saying commodity. Commodity rises and falls with whatever's going on in the economy, and, and we certainly have some headwinds ahead of us, uh, along with a bunch of t- tailwinds, which I'd love to talk about. But location really matters. And the, the, the demographics of the people around that location do they have money to spend? Are there a lot of them? And importantly, are there barriers to entry? All of those things have to go into the consideration of the real estate that you own. But I've heard for years, Don, that retail is dead. Just buy everything online. Fill your house up with cardboard boxes and Amazon trucks. So, Brian, the best thing that happened coming out of COVID was the realization from, from consumers that we're social people. And the single best thing, and it came out, you know, after 2017, 18, 19 of no more retail, no more, you know, bricks and mortar. And it's just not true. And so that giant tailwind uh, is, is continues and effectively it's really pushing through and helping us and other uh, open air. But, it, but it, a lot of it depends. Reads. I got to imagine depends on where you, if you're in Warren, Ohio, I mean, <laughs> things and Warren, you know, I, I race cars there. It's a great town, but it's economically depressed versus Annapolis, Maryland or Summit, New Jersey, wherever it is, you got to be in the right spots. You got to be in the right spots. And you know, it's hard for investors because when investors think they want to paint a big broad brush as to as to the companies that they're looking at, the industries they're in, the bottom line, real estate is local. 
and it really does matter where you, where you are, and you need those three characters. A lot of tough news lately. Everyone's accusing sure. me of being all negative. You said you had tailwinds. Yep. I want to hear some good – give us the sully side up. Good sure. news. Sure, sure, sure. By the way, okay, we've been around since 1962. We have raised our dividend every year since 1967. That's 55 years. There isn't another REIT in America that can say that. You know how you do that? And by the way, think about interest rates in the 70s. Think about wars. Think about COVID. All of which there were some OPEC fights in the 70s, high gas prices, crazy, right? I right. mean, all the the, the embargo, so higher how rates, are we inflation. Still able to raise those dividends throughout all of that, including COVID. Real estate's a local business, man. And when it comes down to setting up the right balance sheet, we're the port in the storm here. That's at least the way I'd like to, to add, ask your viewers to to consider as. In fact, consider all of, of, of uh, the shopping center REITs that way. But I think we've, we're a little bit better. I just do. So you, you can get through these higher rates. You There's no through. question we can. You know, the, the balance sheet has to be strong. You can't now say, oh, my gosh, we're going to head into some tough times. And now we should do something with the balance sheet. Now we should do too late. You have to have been set up all the way. This is a long-term business. I'd love you to think of it as port of the storm and port in the storm at these times going forward. Well, listen, if you made it through 1976 to 1980, <laughs> yeah, you think. can probably make it through now. Let me give Don you something Wood. else. Quickly, yep. I want to tell you, effectively, there's been no building of retail stuff very much at all in the last decade, decade and a half. Mm. That's really important because supply still matters. The supply demand still matters. We, those characteristics look really good right now. Love having you on set. Appreciate it. Yep. See, in person, social matters, See retail. That? There you go. There you, you care. Go. There you go. I care. You care. We all care. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. Thank you very much. All right, coming up, speaking of in person, Delta Airlines reporting record revenue, but it is still working to restore capacity to the pre-pandemic levels. Phil LeBeau spoke to the CEO earlier today. Phil will join us about what they are seeing, not just next week, but next year. Stick around. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, this is not typical TV hyperbole. When we say this has been one of the most bonkers days of the year for the stock market, I say that. Because the Dow is at 800-point highs right now. We're up 800 points, nearly 3%. The NASDAQ is up 2%. And here's the thing. If you're in Hawaii or something, Guam, and you're just waking up, you're like, oh, what a good day. No, no. We were down 600 points on the Dow at one point. We have had a 1,400-point swing from the lows to the highs on the Dow. And what, a 6% swing, 5 or 6% swing for the NASDAQ? You tell me, loyal viewer, when the last time that kind of swing has happened, I'd love to know. All right, a couple of movers to tell you about because David Faber confirming via sources that Kroger is in talks to buy rival Albertsons grocery store deal in an all-cash deal that comes as soon as tomorrow. Factoring in today's move, Albertsons, $15 billion company, roughly half the market cap of Kroger. Of course, any deal with inflation this hot, me thinks the FTC may have something to say about uh, antitrust issues. We'll find out. All right, let's get a CNBC News update. We'll go to Tyler Maps. Tyler. Boy, Albertson's got a lot of chains all around the country, California and elsewhere. As you well know, Brian, that's an interesting one. All right, uh, here's your news update at this hour. What could be the last hearing by the January 6th panel is now underway. The committee chair promises new evidence, but also a review of previous testimony on former President Trump's state of mind in the run-up to January 6th. 
Republican Representative Liz Cheney says Trump knew he had lost the election and had a, quote, premeditated plan to call, claim election fraud uh, before he knew the election results were out and that without holding Trump accountable for his actions, another January 6th could happen. On the news tonight with Shep Smith, all the highlights from that ongoing hearing and analysis of the new evidence unveiled today, such as it is. That is tonight at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Meantime, New York's attorney general has asked a judge to stop former President Trump from moving assets to a new holding company while she pursues a fraud case against Trump, the Trump Organization, and some of his children. Prosecutors say the new firm that could be used to avoid penalties, penalties in case the Trumps lose the suit. A Trump attorney calls the attorney general's request a, quote, stunt to prevent the case from being moved to a different judge. Brian, back to you. All right, Tyler, thank you very much. Well, still ahead on the exchange, big banks kicking off earnings season in earnest tomorrow morning. A look at what to expect and how to position. Tim Seymour, next. Let's step out of the macro markets for a second and get down with a little earnings exchange. Today, we're taking a look at big banks because a bundle of biggies reporting tomorrow, kicking off a very important third quarter abundanza of earnings. And we have got the action, the story, and the trade on J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo. All right, first up is J.P. Morgan. Stock's been slammed this year with the markets. Shares down nearly 33%. Macro headwinds continue to plague financials. And CEO Jamie Dimon telling CNBC this week, he sees America heading into recession in the next six to nine months. Leslie Picker with the story. And Fast Money trader and CBC contributor Tim Seymour has the trade. Leslie, kick it off for us. <laughs> Brian, you thought you were going to be able to escape the macro with this conversation, but unfortunately, with the banks, macro is in focus. You mentioned JP Morgan and Jamie Dimon's comments with regard to the recession. Well, some analysts are wondering whether his comments on a recession earlier this week, does that take a net negative catalyst off the table for tomorrow so investors can focus a bit more on what they're seeing on the fundamental side? Um, among that, credit quality is paramount. It has been healthy throughout the course of the year. Any deterioration would showcase that the Fed's increase in rising uh, in rising rates, as well as, uh, you know, a potential slowdown could be actually trickling down uh, to balance sheets. And, and similarly, capital levels, uh, they had a reserve build last quarter. Will it be similar size this quarter, given what he said about uh, a potential recession? Mm. Could we see that reserve build go up as they prepare for, uh, you know, some potentially lower credit yeah. quality? Yeah, but Tim, you know, I know this is overly simplistic, but uh, talk about NIMS, net interest margin. I thought higher rates were supposed to be Good for big banks. Well, they, they, they're better for banks. And I think if you look at net interest income, this is a, a growing tailwind. And I think it continues to be. I think we underestimate this. And I think if you look at the earnings power of, of the money center banks, uh, it's as good as it has been. I think we're being held back by the dynamics around reserves and, and credit quality and concerns that that continues to get worse. So uh, I actually think the money center banks uh, on a relative basis to not only where they trade historically cheap to five and 10 year averages, uh, you, you have this earnings power that I think is offset from loss of mortgage income uh, into the net mm. interest income. So I, I, I'm actually bullish there. But I, I, I think that it's the credit concerns that are what are holding these banks back. And credit concerns we haven't yeah. heard about yet. Oh, let's move on to another bank, Morgan Stanley. Now, Morgan Stanley has actually been outperforming J.P. Morgan recently, up nearly 5% of the past three months. 
EPS, earnings per share, has beaten estimates in 17 of the past 20 quarters. So will Morgan Stanley, which is far less consumer-facing, be able to stand out amid tough conditions? Leslie, this is not, they don't have a, you know, a bank you're going to on the corner. They don't have Chase. It's a different company. <laughs> Different company, but they still have concerns about the macro economy, and that's because their investment banking business is such a large proportion of their revenue, about 17% relative to other large banks, which is closer to 10% at some of the other universal banks. Trading also going to be in focus this this quarter as volatility um, has hit both equities and fixed income currencies and commodities. Uh, The question, though, because equities has been a bit more muted, will they be able to overcompensate on the fixed side of things if equities revenue comes in a bit lower than expected? Um, And then there's, of course, the wealth management business, which represents now about half of Morgan Stanley's uh, business and operations. How do those volatile markets on, you know, both the equity side and the fixed income side um, impact that business, their ability to have uh, AUM fees and to grow net inflows from here? Tim, what's the trading story on Morgan Stanley? Well, Leslie's highlighting the, the difference in the business mixes of these companies, and we're going to talk about Wells Fargo in a second. They, they all three um, look differently, and I think we're going to highlight those differences. But I, I think the wealth management growth, 5 to 6% uh, annualized I think in the near term continues despite some of the market headwinds. Uh, and, and if you're a trader, uh, that's the dynamic here. Morgan Stanley's remained defensive, I think, because of uh, the exposure to the wealth management, asset management businesses. Um, there will be volatility there, but it's why it trades at a premium and why it trades at you know, 1.8, 1.9 uh, price to tangible book, which I think is an attractive level to own it. So um, you haven't, you've, you've underperformed going into, uh, for the entire group in, into this earnings season. Morgan Stanley's outperformed. Um, but I think this is a place where you're going to see the emphasis on this uh, higher multiple business be, be, be shining through tomorrow. Yeah. Now let's change gears. Tim tipped it off. Wells Fargo. I mean, the stock's been down 13% this year. But, Leslie, believe it or not, that actually makes it pretty much the best mm-hmm. performer of the big banks. This is a very different company. I mean, they don't have the trading as much. This is like a mortgage company with real banking and some stuff. What is the big story, macro story to watch on Wells Fargo? Yeah, they're actually shrinking their mortgage business, but they are most rate sensitive. So the big thing to watch tomorrow will be their NII guidance, net interest income. You mentioned NIM, net interest income, similar story here. Um, They have a better liquidity profile as a result of this, um, better than many of its Wall Street-oriented peers. Uh, But do they still see room for further growth in NII? Related to that is the, the outlook for deposit flows. There have been... Uh, you know, some indications that deposits could be declining, uh, higher rates, end of pandemic stimulus, partly to blame for that. But does that mean they have to increase their costs uh, in order to do more loan making? Um, And then lastly, because of their liquidity position and because they're in pretty simplistic businesses, um, what's the potential for capital distribution look like? Morgan Stanley in a note saying that it does have significant capacity to resume buybacks as volatility settles down, which differentiates Wells Fargo from its peers, which is why you do see it uh, not underperforming uh, the S&P this year. I think I'd have to go back to like, I don't know. I mean, how many how many years ago, Tim, were anybody <laughs> on Wall Street called Wells Fargo the best position of anything? I mean, they, they've been dragged no, and, through and, Congress and, and, more times in the last decade for problems. 
Well, and that's why it trades at a massive discount to, to J.P. Morgan. I mean, Wells Fargo is about 1.2 times price to tangible book. J.P. Morgan probably 1.6, uh, 1.7. And and look, this this valuation trade, and again, this this you know call it a a corporate governance recovery story, which continues, and there's significant costs attached to uh, the regulators' requirements, but their ability to generate 15, 16 percent return on tangible equity is 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 the story that's had this be a massive, not a not a small, but a massive outperformer. And I think it still can be. I think all the money center banks are are concerned on some of the fall off and the credit concerns, as we talked about. Uh, but I think Wells Fargo at, at least has more opportunity uh, on relative valuation here. And I think that's part of what works right now. Well, I guess, Leslie, we're going to find out tomorrow if all's wells. Fargo. <laughs> Leslie, Tim, don't, don't laugh at that. It was terrible. Guys, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, still ahead. Delta Airlines sounding really upbeat about not only the current quarter, but maybe the future of travel as well. Philip Bo sat down with the CEO this morning. Hear what he's got to say coming up here on the exchange. Shares, by the way, are soaring. We'll dig into the story. Stick around. One thousand three hundred and eight. That's the exact point swing that we have had on the Dow today. We were down uh, just almost six hundred points right after the open. The red hot inflation numbers scaring everybody. Must have been some algorithmic buy that's coming. These these are not humans that are going to move this market like this, by the way, folks. But now we have a Dow that is up nearly eight hundred and was up eight hundred moments ago. It's one of the biggest point swings. I think probably one of the I'm going to guess. If I'm wrong, I'll buy everybody something. One of the 10 biggest point swings that we have seen ever. I'm just throwing that out there. All right, shares of Delta Airlines higher today. The carrier reporting earnings in line with estimates, but it also issued an upbeat forecast for the current quarter and maybe even beyond. Phil LeBeau spoke with the CEO at Bastion earlier today. And uh, Phil, I was honestly, I, I was shocked at his optimism. Oh, bullish? you can tell how optimistic Ed Bastion is. He's bullish. No doubt he's bullish. And it's the fourth quarter guidance. Take a look at their guidance for the fourth quarter. We knew that they would have a strong report for the third quarter with the summer in line with expectations. Fourth quarter, more than what analysts were expecting. A buck to a buck 25. The street was expecting 79 cents heading into this morning. The revenue in the fourth quarter, that's higher, 5 to 9% than most analysts previously were expecting. Operating margin of 9 to 11%. Look, you don't need me at Atlanta Hartsfield International to tell you that this is a time where everybody wants to travel. The, the, the planes are full. There's no doubt that they're going to be uh, seeing this for a while. Cash flow positive for 2022. Remarkable considering how they started the year. The goal being fully in capacity, having capacity fully restored by next summer. And the cost side of the equation, that's what a lot of people have been focused on. Yeah, it was 22.5% up compared to the same quarter in 2019 for the third quarter. But as you take a look at fuel, and remember, their costs are excluding fuel. Ed Bastian believes, look, we're bringing down costs. That'll continue in the fourth quarter. And he's optimistic, even with the prospect of the economy sliding into a recession, that Delta will grow. I feel good about the cost profile in terms of how we're going into it. A recession in the airline business generally helps reduce fuel prices, which is good. Our consumers are strong. Business needs to get back on the road with their customers. And corporate travel is improving. As you take a look at shares of Delta, Ed Bastian says they are seeing a steady increase in the number of corporate travel bookings. And that this is usually the time of year, Brian, where you see 
corporate travel making up for leisure, but because there's so much pent-up demand, you see as much leisure as usual. And as you take a look at the airline stocks, keep in mind that we will hear from American and United next week. I wouldn't be surprised if we see strong revenue numbers from them for the third quarter. And let's talk about the outlook, because that's really the focus for the airlines. Does it continue beyond the holidays? We know the holidays will be busy. What do we see in the first quarter? Well, I'll let you know what I see tomorrow when I'm at Newark Airport, my second home. Do the eyeball test. You know, 800 people in line because for some reason they still don't have pre-check. Phil Lebeau, appreciate it. Thank you very much. You bet. Look at the crowds behind him. I mean, it's 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and the airport's packed. Who are these people? All right, coming up. Market staging a major turnaround, but the NASDAQ still tough year, down 32% this year alone. And when you pull out from its record high, it will even get worse. We're going to talk more about this with Paul Meeks coming up. All right, what a day for the stock market. The Nasdaq's up 2%. Doesn't seem like much, but we were down 3% at the start of the trading session. Might just carry the one. That's a 5% turnaround, at least right now. But down more than 30% still so far this year, even with today's gains. Let's talk more about it. Maybe get some stock picks. Paul Meeks joining us. Paul, here's the thing about math, is that if you're down 30% or so, you're going to need like 45 47% to get back to flatlining to where the highs were last year, right? Because the law of smaller numbers. Today's nice. Does it feel like a, a bottom to you? No, it doesn't. You really can't get aggressive on tech or actually any stock for that matter unless you're not perfectly confident, but at least more confident than we can possibly be now that the last downward revision from the street for any particular quarter's revenue and earnings per share is in. Or to state another way, are we really in the trough quarter. And even though the numbers will look particularly grisly as we go through this earnings reporting season, I don't know if this is the bottom. And so with that, I can't step in with much confidence. Yeah, it sounds like you and not a lot of others. I mean, today, tell me, I mean, you've been doing this a long time. Today smells like a machine, smells like an algorithmic trade. Somebody come in a big dip buyer, right? These aren't humans doing this today. Yeah, when you take a look at uh, the marquee tech name overnight, Applied Materials, you know, pretty nasty guidance. Again, not really any signs that they can't turn around and disappoint us to the same magnitude next quarter. Taiwan Semiconductor, last couple of days, taking a pretty big for them 10% swipe at their semiconductor capital equipment spend for next year. Particularly the semiconductor companies are in real peril and they could uh, get worse. And the problem is that the semiconductor industry is such a big part of the tech sector that it drives the tech sector. And we know that the tech sector is such a big part of the S&P 500 that it drives the overall index. So yes, I still have a lot of cash in portfolios and in my tech portfolios, which I'm known to invest in, so that's where most people come to see me, I still think that there's a chance that we could go lower. So I have a lot of cash and I'm playing as defensively as I can when I actually pick individual tech securities. There are stocks that are higher. This year, hard to believe. Harmonic, HLIT, video systems up from nine and a half to 13 bucks. Why do you like them? Yeah, so this is my best pick, Harmonic, HLIT. You know, this is a communications equipment company, so I don't know if it's a pure play tech sector candidate, but here is a company revenue soaring, earnings per share soaring, big EPS beats whenever they report, nice change in their product mix for higher profit margins going forward. Now, the stock's only 1.4 billion market cap. It might be too small for some. The stock's up uh, 15% this year. And as you said at the beginning, 
you know, the NASDAQ's down over 30. And so this is, I think, a relative safe haven in the tech storm. We like it. Harmonic, we don't have time to get into your other pick. That was Aspen Technology, AZP. And Paul Meeks, always appreciate you having on. Not ready to jump in right now. Paul, thank you so much. Yes, sir. All right, coming up, the semis are on pace to break a four-day losing streak. Christina Parsonevelis, what is happening with the chips next? All right, welcome back. Let's talk chips. Semiconductors, not John and Ponch, because the chips have been down, and they have been down big this year. Is there any sign of a turn? What's going on in the sector? Let's get a check. Christina Parsonevelis with that story. Christina. Nice uh, 1977 reference. But let's talk about the foundry to the world is finally sounding cautious despite posting the best profit in the last two years. Taiwan Semiconductor shares are actually jumping right now up, but last I checked, 5%. But the company, look at that, 5% still. But the company actually projects the semiconductor industry will contract in 2023 and actually plans to cut capital expenditures by roughly about 10%. And it, it makes sense when you think about TSMC's customers like AMD, NVIDIA, Qualcomm that have all guided lower. You can see trending higher, though, today. For example, uh, NVIDIA, almost 4% higher. But all of these companies, they are posting a rebound, 2% or higher. But this rebound is despite the new export restrictions aimed to stop China from building advanced chips. And this is something that's hurt the sector over the last little while. TSMC, though, doesn't seem that worried. They were on the conference call really early this morning. They said the effect was, quote, limited and manageable. Silicon design firm Synopsis also echoing TMC, uh, TSMC saying the rules won't impact revenue. They said this earlier this morning and they reaffirmed their guidance. And that stock is up about 2.8%. Other chip makers, though, are sounding the alarm. You've got equipment maker Applied Materials that cut its forecast, blaming the new China export rules. They say sales would take a $400 million hit in Q4. NVIDIA previously warned of the same $400 million impact. And the reports firms like KLA and LAM Research have started to pull employees from Chinese chip hubs. So clearly these export rules coming yeah. in, a downturn for the sector. Important, though- important. Also important, I reviewed the tape. You said shift. Shift. Let's hope that we have viewers Shift. that watch every single day and re- know what your joke is. Au revoir, merci beaucoup. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.